0: Let me welcome listeners on the Live from AC Second Podcast Network. My name is Chris Gerritz. I'm professor of history at Bethel University and the coordinator of this year's sixth annual Minnesota Undergraduate History Symposium. For the 2019 event, we have 45 students from 12 church-related colleges in Minnesota and Iowa presenting their historical research in 12 panels scheduled throughout the morning and afternoon. We're opening with a plenary conversation on the future of public history. Let me introduce our keynote speaker. Kent Whitworth became Director and Chief Operating Officer of the Minnesota Historical Society last summer, I believe, uh, having held a similar position at the Kentucky Historical Society since 2004. Kent is graduate of what's now Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, where he later worked as Director of Marketing and College Relations. He earned a Master's Degree in History at Middle Tennessee State University, emphasizing historic preservation. Kent is also a founder and leader of the History Relevance Campaign which, quote, promotes a shared language and other tools and strategies to mobilize history organizations in the United States around the relevance and value of history and supports history organizations that encourage the public to use historical thinking skills to actively engage with and address contemporary issues and to value history for its relevance to modern life. Uh, Kent is also a Vikings and Twins fan, so you know he's a really good person, and... Just a nice guy. It's really been a joy to get to know Kent as he's entered our community of history departments here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Uh, What we decided to do is to give Kent a chance to share a few opening remarks about how he sees this larger topic and maybe talk about the work of MHS. Uh, We might talk about Fort Snelling, I would guess, given the week's events. We'll come back to that. We actually wanted to save most of our time for Q&A, to give a chance for students, especially for faculty, to ask questions of Kent about public history, and uh, so I'll kind of moderate, but uh, otherwise, let's welcome Kent Whitworth to share his thoughts.
1: good morning it 's a real pleasure to be with you. Um, uh, Chris made reference to community and, and as he said i 'm new to Minnesota, um, and I cannot tell him and uh, the colleagues our, his colleagues on the particularly the Bethel University faculty how much i 've appreciated the warm welcome and the relationships that have developed i 've had a chance to visit one of the classes already and have looked forward to this conversation with all of you. Um, I am not a Minnesotan, but my mom is. Uh, She's third generation Minnesotan, so I grew up as a kid vacationing here. Uh, My my grandfather practiced law here, um, and they had a place at Bay Lake, and so I can relate to all those things that are. part of Minnesota life and culture, and I am a long-suffering twins and Vikings fan. As a child, I went through four Super Bowl losses, uh, so I'm dating myself, um, uh, but we've also, as a twins fan, got 87 and 91, and I've got the old t-shirts and sweatshirts to prove it, so uh, my wife won't let me wear those out in public now because they're sort of shredding and you know about that too but anyway so uh you know this is there there's a symmetry to, to having the privilege to come to minnesota uh and i also want to uh say a a, a word of thanks to, to dean barrett for your very very inspiring and thoughtful welcoming introduction I, I i with chris thought maybe i'm better just to sit over there all that needs to be said has been said so thank you so much for for that insight and that inspiration i, I what i wanted to do is say just a few personal words. Uh, that I hope will be of, of encouragement and in perspective for many of you, uh, and so I do that at the risk of, of it sounding very sort of uh, predictable and trite, but it but it is the truth, and so uh, I, I focus on that rather than oh gosh, every time somebody comes, this is kind of what we hear. Um, <clears throat> so in many respects, I was you 35 years ago. Uh, I was an undergraduate at Asbury uh, As- then Asbury College. And I was a history major who came to the conclusion that I didn't feel called to teach. And I thought, well, now what? And, uh, you know, I have the utmost respect for that history faculty then and now, and I've uh, stayed uh, in close contact with many of them. But but they didn't quite know what to do with me, and I wasn't quite sure how to figure this out. But I uh, fortunately was able to, uh, through an undergraduate internship and then uh, a graduate, path, graduate school path, find my way into what's now called public history. And, and it has been uh, a very fulfilling and challenging, inspiring uh, journey. And so if you're sitting out there thinking, you know, I, I love history, I feel called to, to be a part of this discipline, but I'm not sure I see myself in the classroom, uh, or as a frankly a full time you know uh, scholar, I, I, I would not pass myself off as a historian. Um, uh, I I, I uh, would see myself as a historical administrator, and and a, maybe a champion and an ambassador for history. Uh, but I, you know, it's been a long time since I've been able to practice the craft with any consistency. Uh, so I read the great work of, of some of your professors and many others to to try to stay fresh. But I'm not going to stand up here and try to pass myself off as a practicing historian. And that might be an issue with some of you, and I'm happy to talk through that at some point. But I just want you to know that there are a wide range of paths and. All of us, I think, have spent a lot of time thinking about the value of a history degree. And, 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 and you may not even choose public history, but I can assure you, because I see it over and over and over, that a, that a solid grounding in history equips you with skills to impact the world for good uh, in, in, in so many vocational paths. So do not fear. Take confidence going ahead, whether it's the traditional academic path, whether it's K-12 and, the, and that kind of classroom setting, whether it's public history. If, if you give it a chance, your history degree will serve you well. And, and so hear that on the front end. The other thing I would just say is just to provide a little bit of context about the Minnesota Historical Society. Um, uh and it's a little tricky i've been here 10 months now so when i start to say this it sounds like i'm bragging on myself and i'm really not but but you need to know from either being in minnesota or this part of the country that that we are blessed with a remarkable state historical society and this is not something that happened overnight um there's there are generations of 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 commitment uh, to the Minnesota Historical Society, both within the organization and far beyond. Um, it's not only the largest state historical society in the country, and and many people would say it is either the best or among the best. And 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 I'm less concerned about those kind of statements. But I will say this: it is impactful, and it has, it adopted a very bold missions a number of years ago we used the power of history to transform lives not often do you hear the word power and transformation referred to history and yet we know that to be so true and for years i have admired MNHS for calling it like they saw it and for day in and day out with as much integrity and, and innovation and passion as they can muster to fulfill that important mission. Now it's not Shangri-La and it's not perfect and there are people that are not so crazy about that institution even right now if you've seen the news this week. Um, but I, am, I consider it a great privilege to serve at the Minnesota Historical Society. And uh, I am super excited about the track record that we have and where we are going in the future to literally use the power of history to transform lives. And, and hopefully in the next little while, we'll take a few minutes to talk about what that might look like. So that's just a little context setting for me. The last thing I will say, some of you may be seniors and are literally counting down the days and thinking, "How am I going to get it all down? You uh, I'll get it all done." You may be thinking in terms of hours. I've got a daughter who is exactly in the same boat. She graduates from Azra University on May 11th, and she is saying, "Dad, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done." So I can relate to it, uh, what you are feeling right now, even through that lens. So uh, it's a privilege to be here. I look forward to. Uh, visiting with Chris and and questions with you and I'm going to hang around for part of the morning so maybe we'll have a chance to talk in the hall between sessions as well so I'll stop there and Chris and I can get going
0: so Kent let me uh, start actually you asked to add one quotation to uh, to our presentations let me give you a chance to explain why you picked this a little bit of who Lynn Hunt is and why history matters so let's Um, put it up here uh, history, for our podcast listeners History involves sets of tensions Between the local and the global Between our own history and someone else's Between academic and popular forms And even between past and future The tensions cannot be overcome They can only be navigated So that's from Lynn Hunt's History Why It Matters Why, did, why, did you, why are you drawn to that quotation?
1: Uh, I'm drawn to that quotation Because um, frankly it, 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 it identifies And addresses the elephant in our room Um, uh, If you are involved in engaging the public through history you feel that tension every single day and I think at first blush um, the tendency is to oh we must be doing something wrong um, or nobody told me we're going to be dealing with this. Um, But what I'm here to say is let's embrace the tension and let's look at ourselves among other things as navigators. And, 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 and one of, I think, our greatest callings and the greatest impact we can have is to give society tools to navigate this tension. Um, maybe we should just jump right into the this week. Yeah, so we've
0: alluded to this a couple times. And in, in a sense, I want to give you a break from what you've had to do this week. But it's I but think it's, it's really important. right? So uh, for those of you who don't know, on Thursday, the Minnesota State Senate voted to approve a Republican proposal to uh, remove, I think, $4 million from your society's budget, 18%. which is like 18%. Yeah. Uh, in the Pioneer Press, you said that could result in something like 54 to 80 layoffs. Yeah. Uh shorter opening hours for the 26 or so historic sites um and uh, this has to do with um a word added to a sign right i mean it's it's more complicated than that but could you tell us a little bit your perspective yeah. on that sure. particular situation that maybe just in generally reflect on um doing history and especially public history in a politically polarized time
1: you know and i think this uh chris i think this goes to uh, a very directly related issue that i think eric foner among others has talked about that we are drawn to the discipline, the study of history. Just as the Dean said, is every topic needs to be um, looked at again. Uh, there, there's always more to learn about a particular topic, an issue, and, um, and and Eric Foner talks about how that is what draws that dynamic nature of history, is what draws us to this discipline. And yet the public, Somehow or another, and I guess collectively that's on us over the last couple of generations, we maybe gave the impression that that history is 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 static. It's 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 this set of facts and and you can't change it. So the very uh dynamic that that leads us to exploration and discovery and fulfills us professionally and intellectually um is is off-putting to a lot of folks in society they 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 go to that phrase revisionist history and frankly that's the phrase that was used in a senate hearing on tuesday when there was an amendment introduced at the committee level to restore the funding for mnhs and initially um uh the one, one senator pushed the other and said, so why are you doing this? And initially they said, we just don't want to talk about it here. And he said, it's a public hearing. I think that's sort of the point. Um, and I'm trying to be as respectful as I possibly can, um, because these are elected officials that, that represent um, all of us as Minnesotans. But finally, one comment was made, well, um, they've, they've gotten controversially, controversial in the last few years and um, so he kept pushing and another senator jumped in and said well it actually goes back to last year uh, when we were looking at, at, at uh, capital funding for Fort Snelling and um, we are not comfortable with the the current name being used and that's historic Fort Snelling at Bedote um, Badote refers to the confluence of the two rivers these decisions were made long before I arrived Um, I fully support that name um, and I think it's important historical context I mean we all know the the critical uh, importance of providing context uh, to our understanding uh, it's a key to our understanding of the past so um, this other uh, senator jumped in and as I said um, said I think there is revisionist history taking place all across the country, and now it's happening here, and I'm just not comfortable with it. And um, so that's why we're cutting their funding by 18%. So we are in the middle of of this, um, and uh, we're not unique. These issues are taking place all over the country, um, and... uh, had a staff forum yesterday with my colleagues at MNHS. We said, you know, um, whatever we do, we're going to do with the utmost respect. Uh, We're going to do it with professionalism, and we're actually going to go a step further. We're going to be gracious about it because um, us, frankly, stooping to um, or allowing a conversation to deteriorate does not uh, do the discipline any good. It certainly doesn't do our organization any good. By the same token, our convictions are what they are, and we've always said that we have a high ground if we will be disciplined, and that high ground is the historical process, um, and 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 we need to uh, we need to uh, administer that historical process with integrity, and we need to point toward rigorous scholarship, and we need to be able to point to evidence, and then. Um, graciously share that evidence and obviously acknowledge the tension. Um, sorry. No, that's okay. um, I, I, we've, we've all understand there are different interpretations on the same piece of evidence. And so we need to create that space. Um, so I think it's just a remarkable teachable moment for our organization, for the people of Minnesota. Um, frankly, I think this is what we're gonna be about for years and years and years going ahead and, and that excites me. I, I think it's really appropriate that there be a deeper widespread understanding about what history is and frankly what it isn't.
0: So I, I want to open this up to uh, to students and profs in just a second and maybe we'll come back to Fort Snelling or variations on this. But let me ask just one more kind of big question because you just hinted at the future of history and public history. But let me ask you to look back. And at least, like in your 15 years of running state historical societies, how have you seen change over time? Yeah. Good historic, like what is different about public history here in 2019 at MNHS versus where you started in Kentucky in 2004?
1: Sure. Uh, And let me use the History Relevance uh, Initiative as sort of the backdrop for that. Uh, Gosh, maybe seven, eight years ago, a number of us were very, very frustrated. And and we were watching what what we've all watched and 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 Dean Barrett referred to and that is frankly the marginalization of our discipline uh, at, at at all kinds of levels certainly K12 and and maybe more significantly in, in, in higher ed and so we are feeling like we needed to be the latest group of of uh, public history professionals that says we've got to reframe the conversation. And and we felt like the history relevance campaign was almost um, uh, that the the, the primary focus of that is just to help people understand the value and relevance of history. And frankly, a lot of that grew out of what I've affectionately referred to as STEM envy. Uh, You know, everywhere we, you know exactly what I'm talking about science, technology. maybe a
0: history engineering proposal that I well, to Well, uh, you know,
1: um, and then, you know, as if I uh, had sort of insult to injury, it went from STEM to STEAM, but the humanities are still on the outside looking in. I mean, really? And so we were sort of feeling sorry for ourselves and, and thought, you know, we're gonna do this national branding campaign and we're gonna jam this message down everybody's throat and they're gonna get it, bad idea. Well, it took two years for us to come up with uh, a value of history statement that I can share with you later um, just for the field itself to be able to talk talk uh, articulate its value. And that was a really worthy exercise. But, uh, you know, a funny thing happened along, uh, along the way to the forum um, and, and, and that is, You know, eight years ago, we think, no, you know, we felt invisible. Nobody acknowledged us. Nobody cared about us. And, boy, have things changed. Everybody has an opinion on the past now. And so be careful what you ask for. Um, Frankly, it's right where I think history and public history ought to be. But this is not for the faint of heart. You know, you better strap it on and be ready because this is going to be really incredibly fulfilling work, but it is not going to get any easier. So again, be careful what you ask for, but boy, if you're ready for it, I think there is just remarkable opportunity everywhere we turn. And so interestingly enough, this value statement we thought was strictly just marketing messaging. What it's turning out to be is, I think, a framework to create tools that enables us to navigate. So that's what I think has happened to public history in the last eight to 10 years. It's one amazing ride. You know, we laugh about needing industrial strength containers of dramamine because, and the, the note, the line I've used this week is please be sure your uh, seatbelt is securely fastened. Um, but this is where we want to be. You know, that again, it's about embracing that tension and navigating it responsively. I know we've talked several of the history faculty here have talked about historical empathy and, and hospitality. You know, we can't put up our intellectual and academic guard and not let people into the conversation we've got to be gracious and hospitable and empathetic because we want to bring as many people along. And it's not just about having the exact same view or interpretation of an issue, but it is about having a shared respect for what history is and what it isn't. We know the powerful impact it can have on the future of this state and this country and beyond if, if we hold it like this and don't hold it like that. So...
0: Okay, I can see why you're an ambassador. account. That? I can see why you're an oh, ambassador. I'm yeah, I'm sorry,
1: I, I go from zero to sixty pretty quick.
0: Well, uh, so I, I've talked
1: eighty or ninety. You know, I'm probably exceeding the speed limit. Right. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I've talked enough. I'd like to open this up to questions now from professors and students. Uh, if you have a question, just uh, start with your name and your institution, and uh, let's see where the conversation takes us. Does anyone have something they want to start us with? Yes. So Perry Pike, if you had Mary Kiffmeyer, who I think is the state senator from, I think it's Big Lake, who has she, called this revisionist history, how would you start this conversation? She
1: is um, a dedicated public servant. And uh, Oliver Kelly Farm, which is one of our sites in the network, is in her district. We've had a chance to um, visit with her three or four times since I arrived. And so this is not hypothetical. Um, and, and I'm grateful. And, and to her credit, on Tuesday, when I left the hearing table, I shook her hand and she was very gracious and I said we'd still very much like to continue the conversation and she said I would like to do that as well so I I give her great credit for for not just writing us off um, but continuing the conversation Um, we will continue to talk about what history is and what history isn't Um, and uh, that won't be new to her we've talked to her about that I think the, the 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 challenge, the opportunity for us is for, we've we've got to help um, her trust us to uh, add stories using Fort Snelling in particular, um, but as we've said multiple times, this is about addition. It's not about addition and subtraction. So I think her, well, I know her concern is that as we broaden the narrative, as we add more stories to the narrative of Fort Snelling, that that will be at the expense of military history stories told there. And, 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 and I can look her in the eye and say, that's not what we're doing. Um, we will continue to tell what I would consider or categorize as traditional military history stories there at Fort Snelling. But we will also broaden out um how we divine military history and that's the beauty of this initiative is is the the experience the visitor experience can be much deeper and richer Uh, certainly we want to talk about the establishment of the fort in 1820 and we will talk about um uh you know uh, the role of the civil war but you know if you take it a little bit further into the 19th century we can talk about the role of african-american soldiers there there were buffalo soldiers there in the late 19th century you move all the way forward um to world war ii and you have the japanese american language school and and um and so even if you look through the military history lens and we're starting to do some really interesting things focus particularly on 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 uh women's military history so um it's it's a mile wide and a mile deep and and there's room for all of this and and the, one of the real exciting things is long before the capital project is finished in two years we've already been through a season of piloting some wonderful new programming um and uh the surveys back from the public are just overwhelmingly positive positive. 94 percent are saying gosh this is a you know, the, this is a rich and deep and meaningful story. And and we use the word relevance and connecting to contemporary issues. And the public is seeing that and, and frankly, asking us to continue in that direction. And so one of the things we will continue to do is, is, is be very clear about the, the programming and the experiences that we're presenting there. But we'll, we'll demonstrate again, this is about addition. It's not, we're going to do this instead of that. Um, because that traditional military story is important. I mean, we know thousands and thousands of Minnesotans mustered in and out of, of Fort Snelling over that, the history of that place. Um, and, and, and it's also great, and this is something that those of us in public history maybe have not been as is, is disciplined um, about as we should, but again, MNHS has been, and that is the evaluation piece the, the legitimate audience research that's being done so that we can measure impact. And it's really tempting in public history when you've got tight budgets that, you know, it's like, well, I've got the money to do the program, but I may not have the money to do two things, which you've got to do. One is to promote the program because if you don't get people there, what have you done? But even, even as important, if not more, is to evaluate the impact of the program. And so this is a perfect case where we've got, We've got um, real credible uh, data that tells us um, how the public is receiving this new programming there, and it's been, as I said, overwhelmingly positive. So to have that kind of material to go into the next meeting with these senators is very, very helpful. I don't know if that answers. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm open to thoughts and and, and counsel and advice, too,
0: so maybe we can talk afterward. So again, there are um, you know political pressures, uh, budget challenges that I think you know it could be a temptation to move away from mission. But at the same time, I heard you say. There are certain things you're going to stand on, right? right? Like, I mean, you want to have this conversation, but at a certain point, you have to stick to, I think you talked about historical process. Yes. Can you you just explain, especially for undergraduates here, what about the historical process made it important for MNHS to start adding the story of indigenous residents? Uh, You know, we had had the anniversary of the Dakota-U.S. war a few years ago. Um, I've taken my kid, kids through historic Fort Snelling. We stop at the panel that talks about the concentration camp right. that was right there at the site. Right. So what explain, what about the historical process led to, um, um, I guess really it's probably about interpretation and yes. context as much as anything, right?
1: Yes, yeah, a- absolutely. And, and again, I can brag on MNHS. I had nothing to do with it. But but the, in 2012, it was the 150th anniversary of the U.S.-Dakota war. And and the organization I'm privileged to now serve could have done one of two things. Well, they could have ignored it completely, or they could have taken a very sort of celebratory, traditional approach to that. And they chose, because we are about an organization, we are about transforming lives using the power of history, they dug back in and, and looked more deeply at that topic and that was groundbreaking work not only for our organization but for the state and the field and, and and they built partnerships in in all kinds of directions to make sure we were better stewards of that story. Um from a Euro American perspective and certainly from a Native American Perspective. So I would say that was a pivotal turning point where the organization made a very conscious decision to go deeper into the scholarship. Now, they didn't just say this is the story we're going to tell. They first conducted the rigorous scholarship, and that led to uh, that, what I would say ground, uh, was a groundbreaking exhibition. And then, as Chris said, um, it led to uh, a very logical. Uh, deeper look at the stories that we needed to tell at Fort Snelling, uh, but it all started with rigorous scholarship, and I think a, a really appropriate and, and, and in some respects courageous choice that the organization um, made um, to, to take to take a much different and much deeper look at a topic that um, had been interpreted fairly traditionally, or at least through the lens of one view. Okay. Other questions? Yeah, right. Yeah. I really appreciate um, that presentation. I'm wondering with the debate over Confederate was, oh, uh, would, would that be a case of subtracting? And, and, and under what conditions do you think it's appropriate to subtract, or would you, would you argue a bigger preservation plus addition in the Confederate situation? Uh, as Chris said, I was at the Kentucky Historical Society for 15 years, so... I, no, no it 's not and, 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 and some of these particular dynamics are new to me, but the general dynamics of of dealing with, um, with uh, uh, contested or contentious history is is, uh, is not uh, let me, Let me just give you a real life example. Uh, the rotunda of the state capitol in Kentucky has a number of statues in it. At the center is Abraham Lincoln. And in case uh, no no offense to any uh, Illini in the room, but he was from Kentucky. Um, he was born and, and lived during, and lived through his formative years in Kentucky. He made a quick stop in Indiana, um, and and then adult life in, in Illinois. But in all seriousness, Lincoln is at the center of that rotunda, and there are four other. Um, uh, uh, um, accomplished Kentuckians uh in the in that rotunda uh one of which is Jefferson Davis um who also was born in Kentucky uh left I think uh, way way more quickly than Lincoln did I think uh, his family left after nine months they went to Mississippi if I, as I recall but you know you have the irony of ha- having Lincoln and uh Davis right there in the rotunda needless to say that has been an ongoing uh issue um what we were trying to do, um, and I was involved in that issue for a number of years. What KHS was trying to do is is um, is to be the facilitator of a complete reimagining of the rotunda. No offense to any of those gentlemen, but in this day and age, I'm just not sure in a space that was designed architecturally, it's gorgeous like most rotundas are, um, to be inspiring and and to point to the highest ideals of, in that case, the Commonwealth of Kentucky. That wasn't gonna get it done. Um, It just wasn't. Um, And so in that case, we were thinking about subtraction, because if there's it's the most symbolic space in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And I said over and over, if, if Kentucky's gonna get a single space right on this issue, it's gotta be the rotunda. And, and 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 we weren't projecting what it should be, but what we were saying it was high time for a, a very open process that involved all kinds of perspectives across the state. And then and we felt like we were the best equipped institution to 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 facilitate that that dialogue and that reimagining um and so uh in the previous administration we got very close to being able to do that with the current administration um that not so much during the campaign the current governor said he'd be very he felt like that should be removed and we said it's not about one statue it's it, it is but it's 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 more than that so that's an example of what we were thinking about there let me give you one other quick example uh john c Breckinridge, um and that name will mean something to several of you um uh you know distinguished career militarily and politically and in the united states government and obviously uh, a leader in in the, the confederacy um and there was a monument in downtown lexington um and and so let me i'll cut to the chase because uh, we could go all day um what we what we realize in that particular situation sometimes we think it is addition in the sense of you just need more interpretation, but you don't need to move the statue. I think, I think it's a case by case. Um, and I think you gotta go back and look at the intent of putting the statue up to begin with. And we all know these statues say a lot more about the time when they went up than the time that they are intending to commemorate. That is a really important teachable moment for the public. But knowing that, what we found out about Breckenridge, on the face of it, it seems fairly benign. But that spot was um, w- uh, where slave, uh, slave auctions took place. And if you go back and you look at the reporting of the dedication of that statue, you see some pretty ugly things being said. And, and, and you get to the intent of at least some people involved in that. Once we found that out, we took a very strong position in, with a number of others and said, that's got to go. That That's very different than on the face of it, what it looked like. So again, it's, a lot of it is, is requires rigorous scholarship. Um, the great news is there is debate and you can't pull away from the table regardless of how infuriated you might be um, because then you minimize the power of history.
0: Okay, I think we have, I saw a student question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you introduce yourself
0: first Jacob,
1: Martin, uh, the, Those guys are the reason I'm in the right room today. Thank you. <laughs> I was wandering until I found them. Some, uh, yeah, right. Yes, um, we have and we're encouraged by what we're finding within the academy. But let me let me broaden it out a little further. Again, I'll go back to the history relevance effort. Um, What was super exciting is when we started to poke our heads up and look around and see who is who is championing the cause of history and who is talking about the relevance of history. The most exciting thing is some of our most articulate and frankly, passionate Um, advocates came from uh, STEM, particularly STEM industries. Um, There was an effort led by the Academy of Arts and Sciences to focus on the humanities and the retired executive from Boeing An engineer was talking about the importance of history these guys were never saying it's this and not that they never presented it as an either or proposition I think you know we did what we do in society all the time you know we just get focused on one thing and we 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 leave the rest on the side of the road so I've been super excited Uh, there I'm thinking of another uh, um, uh, utilities executive high-powered utilities executive from the Chicago area that too was just so so articulate. And one of the most, and I don't know the backgrounds of some of these other senators that were in the hearing on, on Tuesday, but I don't think these guys were history majors necessarily. Um, interestingly enough, Senator Newman is. Um, but um, So that gives me hope that we can find some common ground eventually. But But some of these other senators were talking about just the same thing. That, that we've been talking about in terms of the tension and the need to revisit. You know, um, uh, Senator Marty said, listen, the, the history we learned in, in, in uh, kindergarten, first grade, fifth grade, that's not the history we need to know today. I never met Senator Marty, but I can tell you he's in my Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, and, and so I think once we quit our pity party, and started thinking about this, we realized there are lots and lots of advocates. It's so logical. And, and, and I think that's why the STEM folks will say, of course, history is relevant. And these, these skills prepare you for life vocationally and otherwise, and we can't exclude this. So yeah, I'm, I'm obviously invigorated by the support from, from folks that
0: look at this through a STEM lens. I think uh, Senator Marty's dad knows something about history. Yeah, 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 we yeah, yeah. right, him. right. Good well, we're me. running out of time. Let me ask you one final question, Kent, on behalf of maybe some students here. Because you had started by talking about being an undergraduate history major, yeah, sure. deciding you didn't really want to teach. And so what do you do with that? If there are students here who are interested in doing what you've just described, what are good next steps for them, uh, and especially with MNHS? Let what, me give you, you my you... business card. There we go.
1: <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, um, we would be honored to, to get to know you. We'd be honored to uh, talk more specifically about what we do, connect you with folks um, uh, that, that might help you think about career paths. Um, yeah, there's a pretty robust internship program at MNHS. Frankly, we've spent a lot of time uh, focusing on on um, on a more diverse uh, audience, which I we are just so so proud of. Um, and in fact, even Monday evening, I'm going to get a chance to see some capstone projects uh, at the U. Um, and 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 but but would love to talk to you about each of our individual career paths and um, options you can have. Would be thrilled to connect you with organizations like the american association for state and local history uh they're meeting in philly in early september you know we can get you plugged into that network right away but you will have friends and and frankly colleagues uh with with me and others at the minnesota historical society we we have been where you are and we would we would welcome a conversation about how to at least explore if not enter um that arena
0: Well, I'm sure you can continue the conversation with Kent, but we have to move on. I have to do some nuts and bolts before we transition. Before we do that, let's thank Kent Whitworth for answering the questions.